Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey there, everybody from KQED Public Radio. This is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Katie Orr, in for the vacationing Marisa Lagos. Today on The Breakdown, he's a rare moderate Republican in a party that's mostly swung to the far right in the Trump era. But Assemblyman Chad Mays is determined to find a way back to relevance for the California GOP. That's right. Mays has helped create a new organization to bolster the party's moderate members. And he's worked with his colleagues across the aisle to try to find some common ground. Coming up, we'll talk with Mays about his career, where he disagrees with his party, and what he thinks Republicans are getting right. But first, Katie, we'll talk about Democrats. We had (laughs) two feet in, two feet out this week. Uh, Eric Swalwell, the congressman from the East Bay, uh, who had, at best, a long shot run for the White House, uh, deciding uh, to cut his losses and uh, get out of the race. Um, And then we'll talk about who got in in a minute. But, you know, you kind of wonder sometimes, like, what what was he thinking? Uh, You know, I guess there was so many people in the field. Maybe you figure you can catch lightning in a bottle and you never know. But uh, reality has caught up. Right. He never pulled above 1%. He was really worried about even making it into the second primary debate. Um, I think that would have probably been pretty embarrassing if he hadn't. So, like you said, decided to cut his losses, focus on his congressional seat. And, and he's got a bit of a challenge right, there, exactly. right? Exactly. It's not a smooth, he's not, it's not a cakewalk for him. Right yeah. Now, I so. mean, ordinarily incumbents, uh, you know, in general, don't have too hard a time getting reelected. But, you know, with word that he was running for the White House, uh, there was a city councilwoman in Hayward who threw her hat into the ring and she was getting endorsements. Uh, he might have just uh, been looking in the rearview mirror. It's a brutal game. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You can't, you snooze, you lose. Right. But then Tom Steyer, the billionaire, former hedge fund manager, uh, a you know, I don't know that there was a, a real cry from Democratic voters for a billionaire to get into the race, but uh, he has already spent, you know, tens of millions of dollars helping Democrats uh, get elected to the House and to get younger voters out to the polls. Um, but he says he's going to spend $100 bucks uh, to get to the White House. I mean, and I think it's interesting because I think his take is he has all that money, so he doesn't need to rely on corporate donations to fund his campaign. He's beholden to no one. And that's right? his big message, right? We're going to get the money, corporate money out of politics. Yeah, he I'm doesn't need it. Sure, yeah, I'm not sure how that'll work with everyday people who don't have $100 million to spend on a presidential campaign, right? Well, and it's, you know, if you look at what people care about, you know, and pollsters do this all the time, uh, although it is an important issue, you could certainly argue on the merits, it's a very important issue. It's not something that bubbles up even into the top five for people. You know, it's healthcare, education, the economy, jobs, uh, immigration, maybe, you know. Right. And then you can also make the argument that we have a rich 
man running the country right now. You know, certainly has a different ideological uh, perspective, Donald Trump does, than Tom Steyer. I mean, they're complete opposites. But both sort of calling themselves outsiders, which right. is kind of, I don't know if it quite passes the smell test with Steyer. I mean, he's been a staple at all the Democratic conventions. He gets a speaking slot at the conventions. So to call himself a complete outsider, eh, not so sure that's going to fly. Also this week in Sacramento, Katie, big news on the wildfire front. Uh, A bill cruised through the legislature, overwhelmingly passing the Assembly Thursday morning after passing the Senate earlier in the week, both of them with two-thirds votes, uh, sending it on to the governor's desk. And uh, this one, of course, is going to require PG&E to spend billions, along with other utilities, to make safety improvements. And then ratepayers are going to kick in about half of that $21 billion as well. Yeah, I think this is really designed to provide some stability for everyone involved. At least that's the goal of the people who support the measure, like Governor Gavin Newsom. Um, because right now, if your fi- if your house is burned down in a wildfire that was caused by utility equipment, then you have to go through a whole lengthy process to try and be compensated in any way. This is supposed to give you some kind of reassurance that there will be money there for you. Also supposed to give the market some reassurance that these companies aren't going to go bankrupt every time we have a massive wildfire in California, which, of course, are becoming more and more common. Absolutely. And, of course, uh, the rating agencies were threatening to downgrade the rating. So that uh, sort of put some pressure on the legislature. And, you know, there are critics, of course, whenever you do something this big, saying there isn't, for example, enough money for prevention of wildfires in this bill. It's going to be a little harder, perhaps, to prove liability uh, for the utility companies. Uh, but, you know, it's a big win for Gavin Newsom. This is an issue uh, that he inherited along, I guess you could say, with that $20 billion surplus. So it fell to him to get something done. Yeah. And the governor's office says that will happen tomorrow morning. And then quickly, before we uh, take a short break, uh, the women's soccer team uh, had a ticker tape parade, ticker tape <laughs> parade this week in New York. Uh, and they have already said they don't want to go to the White House. Uh, and They said they don't want to go to the... To this White House. Sleeping, yeah. Yeah, uh, with the president. And so, lo and behold, the governor of California has rolled out the welcome mat. Yeah, I think they would be thrilled if they came here, you know, again, setting up the uh, the difference between Gavin Newsom and Donald Trump. I mean, who knows if they'll come? I'm sure they're getting in, getting invitations from across the country. Although Megan Rapino, the star player, is from Reading, actually oh. played soccer on a team in Elk Grove when is she that was in right? high school. Well, so then a bit maybe of a local if, it, if it's just her, I think that would be uh, <laughs> yeah. make everybody happy. All right, let's take a short break. And when we come back, our conversation with Yucca Valley Assemblyman Chad Mays. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because 
This is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Katie Orr, and today we're joined by a Republican legislator who I would say paid a big price for working with Jerry Brown and the Democrats to extend the state's cap-and-trade program. Assemblyman Chad Mays is from Yucca Valley in the Inland Empire. We're glad to have him here with us today. Assemblyman Mays, welcome to Political Breakdown. Well, thank you so much for having me, uh, Scott and Katie. It's great to, great to be here. First of all, I, I'm guessing a lot of our listeners have never been to Yucca Valley. Uh, tell Where is it exactly and well, what's it like? Well, if you've been to Josh G. National Park, uh, then more than likely you have been to Yucca Valley. It is about 25 miles north of, of Palm Springs in the Mojave Desert uh, in San Bernardino County. So uh, recently uh, there's been these uh, the earthquakes that have happened um, out in Ridgecrest. And if you think of Ridgecrest, which is uh, more than 100 miles away from Yucca Valley, you can get uh, a picture in your head of what Yucca Valley looks like. <laughs> and, and did people in your district feel the earthquakes? They must have. Uh, yes. Uh, in fact, uh, when I heard, uh, I was uh, in, interestingly enough, uh, actually in Walmart. Uh, uh, oh, I saw your picture. Yes. Uh, I was in Walmart <laughs> and I was actually in the, I was buying a Nintendo, crazy enough, <laughs> uh, which I don't know why it was my girlfriend that wanted a Nintendo. And, um, and so we were actually in line uh, about to buy it. And uh, all of a sudden, this a uh, woman right in front of me um, got very anxious and said, earthquake, earthquake. She started running out. I thought, what are you talking about? There's no earthquake. <laughs> I didn't feel anything. And then I looked up uh, and saw the uh, the, um, lights. the lights were starting to swing. And then all of a sudden there's that moment when it starts to roll very hev- uh. heavy. And you're just that that moment where like, okay, yeah. what is this I, the big is one? This the, right. Is this the big one? That's what everybody <laughs> does. Right. Is, this, is this the big one? When's this going to end? So it's interesting as I was walking out um, of the store, uh, there was uh, four or five different rows uh, there in the in the grocery section that a bunch of things was were, were over. So the photo that you saw was one of those aisles that they had shut down because a bunch of things had fallen off. So it was quite the shaker. Was we're that over pretty noisy? Miles away. Is it loud? Uh, you know, it didn't seem that loud, um, actually. You know, um, in Yucca Valley, we were, in 1992, there was the Landers earthquake. So it was about uh, 10, 15 miles from the epicenter. That was a um, big one, It was it? Uh, a very big, 7.2. And um, I actually was not there at the time. Uh, but when I came home, I was actually um, traveling for a little bit that summer. And I came home, the community was completely changed. So the one thing I'll tell uh, folks and the listeners, if, if you think, oh, it's just an earthquake, you felt that little thing, and the people in Ridgecrest don't care any longer, it does have ways on your psyche. Um, well, especially when you have hundreds and hundreds yeah. of aftershocks. Those aftershocks happen over and over and over again. So there's this constant level of fear that's there and it will have an impact on that community for not months to come, but years to come. So you grew up there. Uh, you, I think you were born in Pennsylvania, right? I was born in Pennsylvania, but I was just a toddler, a uh, year and a half old when my parents came out. And what brought them to Yuccaville? Uh, my father is a uh, pastor and he uh, ended up being a church uh, that he uh, ended up pastoring. My mom, uh, had, my mom was born in LA and so she had this affection 
affection for California and always wanted to come out. And so when there was an opportunity to come to California, the one opportunity was this little bitty tiny church uh, there in, in Yucca Valley. Um, and my uh, my dad's still preaching every Sunday. And, really? Still there uh, Still at the exact same, exact same church. So that's what brought him out. What's it like growing up as the son of a of a Christian pastor. I mean, do you have to be extra careful not to get in trouble uh, and embarrassed? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. I'll tell you, you know, people ask me, how did I get involved in politics? And I go, it's easy. I grew up in the church, um, right? Because there's all sorts of politics inside, inside the church. So you actually went to uh, Liberty University, which is an evangelical school. Yeah, so Central Virginia. How, how do you think your faith, does it continue to influence your life today? Of course it does. I think, uh, for somebody to say that it doesn't, I think that would be improper. I mean, I think uh, that the the lens that you see, the worldview, you know, the I think there's a German term, the Weltanschauung. I can't, I'm sure I didn't say that properly, but it's this lens that you see the world comes from, from um, sort of your basic core core values. Uh, and so, for me, my faith plays a, a very a very strong role. And, you know, you talk about those core values, and I know you've been one of, you know, a handful of Republicans talking about the importance of poverty and yeah. addressing poverty in California, which is, you know, among the, we have among the worst statistics for kids in the country. Um, is that part of, you know, that upbringing? Do you it, no, it absolutely is. I mean, it is this... This idea that your life is not your own. In fact, there's a verse in the New Testament that says your your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. Um, as a politician, by the way, not the best uh, verse to, to <laughs> quote. You've been bought with a price. But this idea that it, your life is not your own, that you're to serve. And, and when you think about California um, and you think of all the wealth uh, that we have here, I think it's one of those things where you can't look anywhere in California not realize that even though we have incredible amounts of wealth, we still have incredible uh, levels of poverty. Uh, we do have the highest poverty rate uh, in the nation, uh, if you use the supplemental poverty measure. Uh, and I think it's uh, it's unacceptable that we as a state government don't spend more time focusing on those um, who are trying to make a life better for themselves. So the evangelical branch of Christianity is, is typically seen as being pretty conservative. Yeah. Uh, but you are decidedly moderate in your position. So how did you get to your moderate position today? I mean, how do you square those two things? Well, it's interesting you ask me, uh, you know, does it affect, does my faith affect my life? And it, of course it does. Um, but it's uh, it, it starts with, uh, as, a, as a Christian, um, it starts with love. In fact, if you see my Twitter feed, I said at the beginning of this uh, legislative session, love, my one word mission statement. Now, I've not always, to be fair, I've not always followed that. Uh, but it starts with with love, um, and it, it's it's fascinating to me. In fact, I'll tell a quick story, just a quick story. Yeah, go for it. Um, but a few years ago, when I was Republican leader, uh, and I uh, got invited to to speak to the Senate fellows, and I started talking about what Republicans should be, and started talking about love and the importance of. And this this um, uh, college uh, graduate who was a Senate fellow said, "You know, um, you sound like uh, you're a Democrat. Republicans don't talk about love," mm-hmm. and I it really sort of grabbed me. Um, and I thought to myself, how can that be? Um, how could this person, the perception, you know, I'm thinking she's totally wrong. And yet it was that perception was very real um, for her. It's fascinating, by the way, um, as uh, it was probably a year after that, we started when I was the Assembly Republican leader, uh, we started doing some polling and testing. Um, uh, we called it the California Republican Project. 
And uh, we ended up doing a survey, uh, over 1,800 uh, Californians. There was four or five different focus groups that were done to come up with the questions. And the one glaring thing that stood out in that was that Californians didn't believe that Republicans care for them. Now, maybe a different word for care is love, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, you just have, um, you believe in, in the value of, of, of human beings and you want their lives to be better. You want those people to be able to thrive. And and if you think about their elected officials, if someone starts with this brand, you're a Republican and they don't care about me, for goodness sake, why would you vote for somebody that didn't care about you? Yeah, like and, the first question in a poll is, is often, who do you think cares more about you? Mm-hmm. You know, that's what voters are looking for. Who cares about my stuff? Of course. And so I think for from my perspective, uh, it has become a brand problem. Um, and, do, do, do other Republicans yeah. sort of like, do you talk about that among your fellow Republicans? Is it, how big a concern is it, do you think? Yeah, and I, I don't mean among, among consultants, you know. But. No, I mean, I think, no, I think it, it, it is. But I do think, uh, unfortunately, in the national uh, political discourse today, it all comes back from Washington, D.C. It's what you want. You, if you're listening to Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or now we've got, you know, things like the One American News Network. You've got all these sort of very conservative um, conservative uh, or liberal um, uh, websites. It's it's like there's this constant anger and, uh, and, and hatred that people have uh, have for, for one another. And you get it gets lost. It's as if politics somehow is a game. When the reality is politics is not a game. Politics is to get elected so that you can move an agenda. And I hope to goodness that agenda, the end of that agenda, is to try to make people's lives better. But somehow we've forgotten that. Now it's just like, well, I want my team to win. And we're going to win at, at any cost. Um, and, and I think it's been lost. And in some ways, you've sort of been a victim of that mentality, right? I mean, as you mentioned, you were the Assembly Republican leader, um, and then you voted to extend Cal- – you were one of a handful of Republicans who voted to extend California's cap-and-trade program, and that hurt you. I mean, you essentially lost your job because of that because other Republicans were angry. And, and talk maybe and, and talk about how did that come about? Like, how did you decide to do that? Because you didn't just vote for it. I mean, you worked with the governor, right? Sure. I'll tell you. It was actually a conversation that I had uh, with the governor. Um, it was in December. I guess maybe it was 2016. My number, my dates are going to be off a little bit. 2016 or 2017 in that time frame. And the governor said, you know, Chad, we'd like, to, uh, we're going to need your help. We had uh, 28 uh, votes at the time and there were going to be two-thirds uh, 54 vote items. We'd love you to take a look at the ga- the, the gas tax uh, for transportation. Um, <laughs> no and, thanks. Yeah, no thanks. Which was no thanks. By the way, I need to make a point because I still uh, think that I would have voted no, uh, voted no on, on that. And we also want you to look at cap and trade. Uh, and so I, you know, committed. Yeah, we're going to go take a look at it. So we put together the, a group of of three on our side in the assembly. Put together three Republicans to go put some principles of what it might look like. Uh, and the, what we came up with was, you know, my goodness, uh, cap and trades actually a pretty elegant way of being able to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And just describe it because it's you know it's, we call it cap and trade like everyone knows what it means, but it's a system of auctioning off pollution credits, right, to raise money that gets spent on offsets to, you know, help yeah, the, uh, reduce carbon yeah, emissions. Yeah, of course, the revenue that's generated is really a byproduct. The goal ultimately is to try to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And so uh, with what ended up becoming AB 398 um, was, look, we're going to have a cap and trade program that's going to dial down um, between now and 2030 to get us to 40 percent below 1990 levels, our greenhouse gas emissions below uh, 19, 1990 levels. And it turns out um, with all the studies uh, that if we had command and control, which, by the way, had been the law, 
Um, there was Senate Bill 32 that had gone into effect the year before that if we had, had given the power to the California Resources Board to force businesses to comply, it actually was going to be much more costly. If you allow the market, you allow businesses and individuals to make choices for themselves, it actually ended up reducing the cost of complying uh, or getting us to that goal of 40% below uh, greenhouse, uh, the 1990 levels for greenhouse gas emissions. So what do you think you got out of the negotiation? By Obviously, we, you know, Katie alluded to the price you paid, but what do you think you got and what did the party get and what did the state get from having Republicans at the table, which doesn't often happen Yeah, these days. I'll, I'll tell you what I got, and I'll, even to this day, I'm, it's one of my most uh, proudest, uh, proudest moments. Um, uh, I got the joy of, of working on a major policy issue uh, that saved hundreds of thousands of jobs, reduced costs uh, for, for Californians, and made people's lives better. Um, all the while making sure that the environment was is protected. And we're, we have a responsibility not only to ourselves here in California to reduce those greenhouse gas emissions, but to the world uh, and to come up with a policy to, uh, that, that shifted the, the burden from government uh, onto individuals and businesses to make decisions for themselves. My goodness, um, for some, a, geek, a policy geek like me, uh, <laughs> it was the right thing to do. It, so it doesn't sound like you regret the vote at all, but were you were were you surprised by the the pushback from your party? I did not believe. In fact, at the time, you know, people were saying, "Oh, you know, you might lose your leadership over over that." And I said, "You know, that's I just don't believe that 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 is true at all." You know, if you'd believed it, would have it no, changed actually, the calculation? I, I would have done it all over. In fact, there's I tell the story. Uh, there was a a company um, in Trona, California, uh, just outside of Ridgecrest, by the way, the Searles Valley Minerals. And there's a gentleman um, that uh, does government affairs uh, for them. His name is Arzel. And he came into my office. He's Chad, I need your help. Uh, in his <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> Just like that. And he said, I need your help. He said, we got to have cap and trade. Um, he said the 700, and I want to keep using the voice, but the 700 <laughs> employees that we have uh, with Searles Valley uh, Minerals will go away. We don't have any choice in the matter. Uh, but to have, um, but to use cap and trade, if we have the command and control provisions that CARB has, they will shut us down. And those 700 employees will, um, the, our, our business will shut down. The 700 employees that we've got will not be able to pay their mortgage, will not be able to send their, their kids to college. And I'll tell you, for them alone, um, I would have sacrificed my job as a Republican leader. I'm not worth, as a politician, uh, the lives of those 700 people. Uh, we ended up actually reducing greenhouse gas emissions and at the same time saving Californians uh, dollars. Uh, if it takes that kind of leadership to do that, I'd sacrifice it in a heartbeat. What do you think? Was it just the fact that you worked with the governor Was it you and you brought some Republicans with you? What, five or six Republicans? There was seven, uh, ultimately. It ended up being eight of us, including the one senator. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, like, was it that it was successful? What is it that you just worked with him at all? Was it that you went it, to the, the signing was, and you were I in the photo? I think it was I the mean, photo. Really? Um, <laughs> it might have been that photo right after, um, afterwards, which was, uh, which was a little fascinating how that photo um, uh, happened. But after there were— Tell us the story. Oh, my goodness, if you want to hear the story. So after, uh, <laughs> the, after the vote was done, we ended up doing a press conference, and I was exhausted um, after the press, press conference, and I just had kind of had it. And they said, oh, we want to go down to the governor's office and— so we get down into the governor's office, and at first there's maybe uh, 10 or 12 of us uh, that, are, that are there. There's the uh, Senate pro tem, there's the speaker, uh, there's the governor, myself, a couple of other, other members, and people are kind of coming in. And at, at some point, then uh, the, the pro tem of the Senate, uh, Kevin DeLeon, um, saw a Speaker Rendon sitting a, a, on, on a couch, and he said, hey, let's take a, a photo. Because <laughs> so, Rendon always likes so, a photo. Right, so I mean, or I should a, say DeLeon. Yeah, yeah. DeLeon, De Leon, sorry. Took a photo, and then, um, hey, Chad, come sit, right? So I, of course, sit down, and I lean over at the time to, to Kevin, and I said, hey, if you just do me a favor, can you not publish that, that photo? I said that to him. 
Well, right after that, uh, then the governor sees us. So the governor sits down right to the right uh, of, uh, of me. And, and so at this point, um, and now there's not 10 or 12 people in the room. There's probably 40 people in the room. And you're looking not for the one, exit. There's not one camera. There's probably 25 cameras. Uh. And at this point, there's literally nothing that I can do. So there's, and I'm, you know, I'm a hugger, right, by, by nature. And so I, you know, of course, you know, have my arm on, you know, the, the governor's back and around Kevin DeLeon. And there ended up being a couple of other members. And that got widely distributed. The next morning, it went out. Um, there was only, there's moments uh, where I, the, the next day with, you know, blood red rhino being stripped with, Republican in name only uh, being um, spread about. And I think that photo, along with some of the the, the uh, central committee, the county uh, uh, party chairs, um, sort of organized together um, to sort of uh, rile things up. And I think that's what did it. Isn't that fascinating? If, it, if you were a Democrat, the people would kill for that photo, you know, <laughs> for politically. Yeah. Well, what, what do you think that says? <laughs> what does that say about the party? You know, I mean, just about the, about politics in general. Yeah. Um, the end game of politics is to make people's live, lives better. The end game of politics should not be to win. Republicans um, should not hate Democrats, and Democrats should not hate Republicans. Uh, we are Americans. We are Californians. It is our job to try to make people's lives better. And it's also our job to work together to try to make people's lives better. Uh, that should be the goal. Just a reminder, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Katie Orr. And our guest today is California Assemblyman Chad Mays from Yucca Valley. His district, by the way, includes parts of San Bernardino and Riverside counties. So as that the fallout was happening, um, what did the governor do? Did he call you? Did he... He did. I'll tell you, he actually regularly uh, uh, called. Um, in fact, we had before that, we had a, a friendship. Uh, we would sit around and, and talk uh, theology, and, you know, current events, you know, uh, international affairs. And and uh, after all of that, I remember he would say, you know, Chad, what can I do? What can I do? And I said, Governor, you can do nothing. Stay away. <laughs> no more stay, photos. Yeah. Stay away. Um, uh, that's uh, there's nothing that you can do to be able to help this all uh, blow over. And of course, uh, the as I've said, it, it went from a thousand uh, acre wildfire of misinformation to five hundred thousand uncontained. Um, and at that point, there's only thing could be done is let it burn out on its own. And it did take some time to do that. But I mean, you persevered. Right? You won re-election. You're not in the leadership position anymore, but you're still in the assembly. Yeah, and but uh, again, I don't think the goal should be. To, to persevere, the goal shouldn't be to be uh, uh, to be an elected official. Your goal, getting elected, shouldn't be re-election. Um, your your goal should be how can I make a decision that's going to be best for the people that I that I serve. And yet, I think part of the reason why our politics is so flawed is because there's so much fear that elected officials have. I mean, I'll share with you, and I won't give you names, but um, I, you know, of the 120 um, members that are, including myself, that are over in the in the legislature. The number of times that you hear, you know, Chad, I think it's the right policy, but I got to vote no. Um, well, why do you have to vote no? Well, you just don't know uh, knew, know what it's like to be in my district, or um, you don't know what it's like to be to be a target. It's like, well, listen, if if it's a good policy, vote yes. If it's a bad policy, uh, vote no. We are not a direct democracy. We are a, a constitutional republic, which means people elect good people studied people, uh, learned people, um, educated people, uh, not perfect people, but those who can go and think through the issues and make decisions uh, for them. Uh, and and so if every single time you're worried about not getting reelected, in fact, you're not doing your job as an elected official. You were, uh, I think, on the uh, Yucca Valley City Council for a while. Then you got elected to the assembly in 2014. So that was pre-Trump. What changes have you noticed in the party uh, since he got elected? Well, I mean, I, I think it's very clear. Um, when he ran uh, for president in 2016, 
you would hear often, you know, Trump's not really a, a Republican. Trump's not a Republican. He's, he's something something different. Like not really conservative? Um, or? Well, you know, I think even the definition of conservative, right? I mean, um, those definitions have, have all changed now. Um, I, I've called myself a governing conservative, and I'm, I'm not sure I like the term uh, conservative. Of course, I don't know if I like the term moderate either. I don't know what to call myself <laughs> um, a, any longer because things have, have changed. Um, I, I don't think you could say that today, where we stand today in 2019, uh, I think that the public believes that republicanism uh, equals Trumpism and Trumpism equals republicanism. And those two things are, are intertwined um, for, for one another. And it's difficult uh, for, for those um, like me um, who still believe in what I would define as conservative principles um, and even the, the, the tact that's, that's used, your approach uh, to it. I think of the debate um, between uh, George H.W. Bush in 1980 and Ronald Reagan in talking about immigration. And between the two of them uh, debating with one another, they were both trying to love on immigrants more than more than the other. And you think about that Republican Party versus uh, the Republican uh, Party that we have today, or at least the perception of the Republican Party uh, that we have today uh, are vastly different. And is that what you're trying to get back to? You helped launch an organization called New Way California, sort of bolstering, I know you don't like the word, but moderate Republicans. Um, Non-Trump Republicans. Non-Trump Republicans. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a big uh, supporter of the organization. Are you trying to get back to that that Reagan-esque era? And do you think that that is the answer for the GOP in California? Well, I think we have to believe in something. Um, and I And I don't think that... What we should believe in is that we're right and they're wrong. Um, that's the first thing. Um, it shouldn't be, well, if it's their idea, then it must be bad idea um, and then not have ideas on our own. Uh, the reason I called myself a governing conservative is because I believe in you know, a limited, uh, responsive government, low taxes, a regulatory system uh, that, that works. I want government to be efficient because I believe that if you empower families and businesses and individuals to make decisions for themselves, then everybody's life is, is better. And so if we're talking about those sorts of things and we can get back to talking about those things instead of saying, you know, you're not uh, Republican enough, um, you are a rhino, which is exclusive, right? If you say Republican in name only, we don't want you in our in our party. Well, then by design, we're going to have a smaller and smaller party. So today we're being we're being exclusive. We're not being inclusive. We need to start uh, talking to people where they're at. And in California, there's not that many Republicans left. Far from the big tent of Ronald Reagan. Far from the big tent of Ronald Reagan. Well, Chad Mays, thank you so much for coming in. I know you're at the end of the session before recess anyway. Do you have any fun plans for the for the recess? Yes, I'm going to Italy. I haven't been on vacation. Um, this is actually just for vacation. I haven't been on vacation uh, for probably five five years like this. Have Maybe you been to Italy years. before? I've never been to Italy. Uh, so I'm looking but thanks so much for coming in. Really yeah, appreciate thanks it. Thanks so much for having me. And that does it for this edition of Political Breakdown, a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer today is Michelle Wiley. Our engineer is Rob Spate. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Lindsay, and Vinnie Tong. I'm Katie Orr. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at one Katie Orr. And I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm cleverly named at Scott Schaefer. That's a wrap for this week's Political Breakdown from KQED. We'll see you next time, everybody. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. 
special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.